0: honestly uh i was dating i was I think i was 22 at the time was it 22 yeah 22 i was dating an english boy who was a backpacker i was a student i thought why not let's go to england six months on a working visa moved over i broke up with him after 24 hours off the plane wow and i just there was something inside me that said don't go home and okay. so I thought I was going to stay here for six months. My sister had just fallen pregnant, so I was like, I'll go home when she has her baby. Mm -hmm. But that was ten years ago. (laughs) Okay. So I just kept, things just kept happening that allowed me to stay in the country. And also I wasn't done with London after two years when my visa ran out. So thankfully I met a new English man who I married and loved very much Um. And so now I've been able to stay here for 10 years and explore Europe and fall in love with London, lots of different things. But I'm also a mum of one and soon to be two. So I think that counts as a job. I think it
1: absolutely counts as a job. And tell us, where are you currently and where you come from?
0: So I am currently living in Hither Green, which is a lovely little suburban um, suburb near Greenwich. But I actually come from a sheep farm in the middle of nowhere in Australia and it's actually, it's called Cootamundra. city helped me grow up. It challenged me as much as it embraced me. Like London can be really tough at times. slowly graduated from small, I moved to Canberra after I left home, which is Australia's capital and it's not a huge city. And then I moved to Sydney. Which I thought was a massive city until I finally came to London ten years ago and realised Sydney's tiny. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I slowly graduated from small city to enormous city. Um but I've been in London now for ten years and I, I feel like a Londoner. You've got to you've got to work hard for it. Okay. It's kind of like a weird relationship with someone who's not a person, <laughs> but a place. Yes. Um and, you know, I started here as a as a young person, backpacking, drinking, partying, working, going to the theatre, and now I'm a mum of two. So I feel like I've worn many different identities mm-hmm. since I first came here. And, you know, when I had my first child, my identity completely transformed again because that's what happens when you have babies. And when you say you need to make an effort, what
1: do you mean with that? What <coughs> suggestion you can give to others?
0: So when I first came here, I said yes to everything, any experience, any as long as it was safe, obviously I'm not going to go and do okay. something silly. But um, uh, all, any opportunity, any experience that I had access to, if someone said, do you want to come walk around the Thames on the weekend, even if I don't know the person very well, yeah, sure, let's go do it. Do you want to come to this theatre show that's like 10 pounds on a Friday night? Yeah, let's go. It could have been rubbish. Sometimes they were really terrible. Okay. Uh, um, so that I could build my my network and what I consider my anchors in the city, people where I you know I knew uh, could feel familiar with the um different places in London, I just said yes, just kept saying yes, and then I got to a stage where I felt like I had some anchors, I knew some people, I'd built some friendships where I didn't need to say yes all the time. Um, so I could start to say no, because then I was able to say, well, I know what I want to do and I know what I like now, because I've experienced so much of the city that I'm not going to go to that five pound comedy club because it was terrible. So I'm <laughs> going to spend 15 pounds instead and go to a theatre show. So that I think it took me a good 18 months to feel like London was my home. It doesn't happen instantly and I think you have to put in a lot of effort to make it feel like home and it can be exhausting at times.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. My experience of being here for five years is, is a similar one. The very beginning is a hard relationship with this man or partner that change all the time and changed by neighbours to neighbours and is very dynamic. What was the episode or the thing that made you feel that you belong to here so that you can tell I'm a Londoner.
0: I don't think it was one thing. I think it's the fact that I've been here so long now that I, I have so many memories of the city. Like I, when I first lived here, I lived in Waterloo and outside my apartment window I could see the London eye. And, you know, some of my friends and I trained for a 10K and we used to run around the Thames. So when I go into London, I have really romantic memories of the centre of London because that was where I was somewhat fancy free with no responsibilities with children (laughs) and I was in a lower level career so I didn't really have to worry about work at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, I think it was time and experiences because now, even though many of my friends since the pandemic have left London, I still feel like I'm connected to the city. And I know, and it sounds silly, but I know how it works. I know the effort that I've got to put in if I need to make new friends. And I know where I'm going when I go on the train. And, and it doesn't require thought anymore to be part of this city. Whereas when I first came here, everything required thought like, how do I pick a bank? Yeah. What the hell is with all these grocery stores? <laughs> And like, why is there a hierarchy with the grocery stores? And then how do I convert my money? And I was always constantly thinking, whereas now nothing requires thought. You mentioned
1: a couple of times that you met your lovely and beautiful husband yes. you're married with. And yes. you have a toddler, a boy, yes, and another baby's about to come.
0: Yes, two babies. What do you feel about that? Um, so I actually met my husband on Gumtree so he was advertising a room this was it sounds silly when you say like 10 years ago you'd go on Gumtree to find a roommate so I went on and I found him and I moved in with him as a as a flatmate it took five days before we started dating oh wow Yeah. All my friends warned us against it. (laughs) They're like, don't date your roommate. It's going to go terribly wrong and you're going to have to find a new house, which is definitely a risk. But we got married 11 months after we met. So we've been together now eight years. We had my first son in 2018 and now in six weeks we'll have a little girl, which is, I think I know what I'm doing, but also I've realised that every time I think I know what I'm doing, I'm being very naive so I think the next having a second baby is going to be very different to having a first.
1: That's interesting and do you feel that you need to know what you're doing?
0: I'm very much more relaxed now with the second baby. The first one it's all consuming because it's the first time and you don't know what to expect and you don't know what you need and and At 25 weeks, I had my hospital bag packed and I was on the app every week finding out how big he'd grown and what he was doing and um, I was obsessed with it because it's the first time, whereas this time, up until recently, some days I actually forgot I was pregnant (laughs) because it's not the same. Like I'm not having to go out and buy all the kit that goes with the baby because we already have it. I'm not really obsessed with um, what's going on because I know what happens afterwards. You get a tiny little baby and you're up every two hours for the first few weeks and I kind of, I, you know, I know what to expect. So I think I'm a little bit more relaxed and I am enjoying being more relaxed with this one. I'm not as stressed out about what if, what could happen? as mm-hmm. with my first son. I was terrified of having a baby with just my husband. We had no family here. We we're all on our own. I was petrified. I did everything from cook like three months worth of food and like stockpile stockpile like loads of nappies because I was terrified that we couldn't do it on our own. And actually it's it was very different experience once you have the baby. You can. You can do it without family. It's probably harder without support, but it's possible. And
1: as a mum living abroad. You said it's harder, but it's actually possible. What were the things that you were missing or perhaps you appreciated when you visit your family back home?
0: I think what I really missed is them seeing him, not so much me, but them being able to see him and, and my son being able to see them. But I think I had been living here for seven years almost before I had my son. And so I I think I've created really good strategies in my mind about out of sight, out of mind. Even once I'd had my child, even though I thought it was going to be way more stressful and emotional and upsetting that I couldn't have my family with me, it wasn't what I expected. I was so happy to have a baby and I was so tired and busy every day that it just didn't really feature in my mind about them, to be honest. It would have been nice if someone could have, like, my sister could have come and took the baby for a few hours so I could, you know, shower and whatever. But I had my husband there to help me do all of that. So it was very different. Plus technology is amazing. Like any time I wanted to talk to them, I just rang them and I FaceTimed them and they could see him and I could see them. Like I even rang my sister whilst in labour on FaceTime to tell her I was in labour. <laughs> And this is the sister that actually was
1: pregnant 10 years
0: ago, so. Yeah, because she's got four babies now, so she's crazy. But, yeah, because she's a midwife and so she's my big sister. And when I went into labour in the hospital, I was FaceTiming her, telling her that this was awful and I can't believe I was doing it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And how was the experience to FaceTime her instead of, like, having her near to you, perhaps holding your hand? Um.
0: To be honest, it was so different. I think I'm so used to it now. Like FaceTime is so incredible. I've got so many nieces and nephews and even when I go home because I FaceTime them every week, they know me. Like they know my son and when we turn up at the house, it's not like trying to get to know a stranger again or explaining who we are. They just go, oh, hi, it's you, but in person. Even though you physically can't touch them, I think I'm so used to seeing them on the screen now and connecting with them that way that... Even if we just ring them and we hear the chaos of their house for 15 minutes and we don't really talk, that's enough. And how was for you the first time that you turned up with your boy? Um, Every single time I go to Australia I cry (laughs) when I get off the plane and I think that's a little bit of out of sight, out of mind thing. You don't realise what you're missing to be there. So when I get there I always cry. As soon as I get off the plane I walk out. And I smell the air and I see the trees. I always cry. When we turned up, because it's a very long journey, because we have to get two planes and then we have to either get a train or another plane or a car to where we live. You know, by the time we got there, I was so tired and had a tiny six-month-old baby that I was a bit in shock. And My sister started crying and I was like, I'm just so tired. Take me home. Yeah, it's definitely a long journey. How often do you go? Normally we go back once a year. We're meant to go back last April, but then COVID hit. So by the time we eventually, one day hopefully we'll go back, it'll probably be about three years because Australia's locked their borders so you can't go home at the moment unless you want to quarantine and pay a ridiculous amount of money to fly back and it's just not worth it. I'm not taking a newborn baby and a toddler to sit in a hotel room for 16 days. That just seems like torture to me. (laughs) So... Um, I'm lucky enough that my brother moved over six months before the pandemic hit, so I do have some family now in the country, not that we've been seeing him very much in lockdown because we can't, but I do have um, my brother and my brother-in-law living in London now, so that's some sort of a nice connection. Whenever I do feel homesick, I can ring them any time of the day because we're in the same time zone. Yeah, there's a big advantage actually. Massive advantage to have them in the same time zone. You had the first baby before the pandemic. Yes.
1: And then the pandemic hit, something that none of us could think or predict, but you had the second one. So you decided
0: to have the second one during the pandemic. Yeah. What was behind that? Um, I really wanted a second baby. I remember thinking before I had Jensen, I'll definitely do it within two years. I'll have my second baby. And then I had a baby and I was like, oh my God, how the hell do people do this two years apart? I found it so hard to figure out my identity after I had my first son. All the stuff they don't teach you about or they don't talk about, which infuriates me to no end, they don't tell you about how your entire identity will change from how you feel about yourself, your relationship with your partner, your sex life. They don't tell you about how your work priorities will change. Like all of this stuff that goes on internally that changes for a woman they don't teach you how to deal with it. They don't give you the tools and the tips, which is so infuriating. So it took me ages to kind of figure out again who I was, who I wanted to be, like what my identity was at work, what my identity was as a mother, as a wife, as a, as a woman. It, like, it took me ages to figure out those things. It took me ages to figure out how to prioritise me, Uh, amongst all of that because I didn't for a long time I didn't prioritize my own needs it was okay work and then baby work and baby (laughs) and that was it and then I started to get some some sort of sense of self and um started to prioritize myself again and then I realized I wanted another baby and that was just I think it was around Christmas last year and I think the pandemic never put us off because I knew we, if we were going to be at home, why not? Because what else were we doing kind of thing? So if I was going to be sick and I was going to, you know, get morning sickness and need to rest, there was not much else to do when we are in lockdown. So what a perfect time to do it. And actually you
1: raised the first kids by your own too. So that was really an experience for you to know that you can count on your husband your husband can count on you.
0: Yeah, I think you just, because after I had my son, it was similar to when I first moved to London. You know, my friendships all changed when I had my baby. Like most of our friends don't have kids yet in our long-term friends groups. They don't have children. They're either single, looking to get married. They're all fancy free because London's Never Neverland and people don't grow up until they get to their 40s. So I had to do what I did when I first came to London. I would put myself out there. I had to go to loads of events and groups and mum and baby things to meet other women that I connected with that became my really good group of mum friends because even the English people that I'm really good friends with, they don't have family in London. We're all sort of in the same boat because we live in this big city, we all work in these fast-paced jobs, but their families live miles away too so my two my three really good mum friends that I met after I had Jensen all live very close to where we live but they're all from the UK and we all were in the same boat so we became each other's kind of support network so if one kid was sick and the one mum couldn't pick them up because they were stuck in the city the other mum would go get them and if you needed help because you know you hadn't slept in three days you just ring the other mums and One of us would come over and help. So that's still the case now, even though some of them have moved a bit further away. We're still each other's kind of support network. So when I went in to have a second baby, I wasn't worried at all. (laughs) It's so important to remind
1: ourselves that there are people out there that have the similar challenge that we are experiencing. They can actually help each other. And also that women can support each other and can be somehow the rock, definitely. What is in terms of changing our body and like our thoughts, our emotion, in a way that perhaps someone cannot do. You mentioned a few times throughout this conversation that you change friendships very, pretty often, and you had friends leaving or moving somewhere else or for some reason being um, disaligned in terms of life experience so some of friends who were single you are now thinking how to manage two babies how did you find as an expert this process of building the relationship and letting go the relationship
0: i don't think i've ever really perfected that to be honest the letting go bit because even now i've had a friend just move away to ireland i don't think it ever gets easier like if you build a friendship and you have shared memories with a person it never gets easy when you find out that they're going to leave. Like, it never gets easy when, you know, even your friends move to the other side of London and you're still in your whole little suburb. I haven't perfected that at all. I always get a bit upset. I do have to remind myself that the choices I'm making, I'm making for myself and my family mm-hmm. and no one else is planning their lives around me. So I need to make sure that I plan my life and the choices we make around my family and their needs. But I always, you know, I'll always miss my friends and family who have left me. But I think, you know, there's some people that come and go in your life that are there for a a reason in that point in time. And there's some friendships that, even though like they've left the country, are still some of my closest friends. And I think it comes down to the fact that those friendships are easy. I don't have to try with them if that makes sense like I've got a friend who I would consider her one of my best friends she left London five years ago i probably talk to her once every three months if we're lucky because we both have kids but when I talk to her it's like no time has passed it's about quality for us not quantity of time it's the same thing as you go through the last 10 years every time like I've had influxes of friends leave um I just have to go out again and put myself out there, and start to try and make friends again, and ask people out for coffees and ask them to do stuff. and It's kind of like dating. Okay, I <laughs> find it's kind of like dating, but you're dating for friends, and sometimes you win them, and sometimes you it doesn't work out. So
1: yeah, it's actually a, a good metaphor. And you know, with dating, at least for me, I change criteria. At yeah. the very beginning, it was like the guy needs to be pretty or the guy needs to, I don't know, soon became I need to feel connected or we need to have at least this specific thing in common. In terms of friendship, did your criteria change over time?
0: For me, I have different friends for different reasons. Okay. So I've got friends that I can turn up in my pyjamas without a bra on and I can sit on their couch and drink wine and not have to have a worry in the world and I don't even have to talk to them whereas then I've got other friends that I go to sit with and talk with in a cafe about work stuff because they get it and it's really nice to have someone who understands that part of my identity Um, but then I've got other mum friends that it's really nice on a Friday when I'm off with my son where we both have kids similar ages and we want to talk about mum stuff we walk to the park together and talk and whinge about being a mum (laughs) so I think definitely my criteria of friendships changes has changed over the last 10 years but I've always had different friends for different reasons because I never am the type of person that thinks that one person should be everything to you like even my husband he's great but he can't fulfill everything I need (laughs) because he's one person yeah um but I've had some core cool friends since I first moved here, which are still my very closest friends and always will be.
1: It's important also as well, like, abhorning people from the responsibility to be our centre. I think it's easy sometimes to make this mistake. That could be with our partner, with a specific person in our family, perhaps our mum, our dad, our sister, and and with a friend. Um, you mentioned a few times about the identity. what advice will you give to a mum to be or a woman that just became mum?
0: It's okay that everything is changing um, it's really frustrating that perhaps your other half or your partner doesn't understand the volume of what it's how your identity is changing, but my best advice is to connect with other women who are going through the same thing because they get it. You know, they will be the people you can soundboard off and talk to and be able to say, What the hell do I wear now that, you know, my chest is way bigger because my ribs have expanded and not gone back? And how am I meant to get the right footwear to like go to work and then come and run after a toddler between <laughs> pickups and and drop offs? So all these like Things that seem trivial actually help to rebuild your identity. So make friends and you're not alone. And if you do need help, there's loads of like services out there. Like I went to therapy to kind of help me figure things out. Take advantage of them and don't sit silent. The worst thing you can do is just forget you because a lot of the time when you have a baby, when you go to all of these mum and bub groups, you get forgotten. People don't really care about you anymore. That sounds terrible. They just want to know about the baby. Like even my friends who would come over, oh, let me take photos of the baby, let me put it on Instagram and all this kind of stuff, and they forget about you. So make sure that you make connections with other women because they won't forget about you <laughs> because they feel the same.
1: What did you do to not forget about yourselves?
0: you got to try things. Like it sounds silly but like you you've got to make sure that you keep trying even if things fail like I remember um when I first went back to work and I was trying to figure out how to go to work and look professional and what I would like I used to wear heels every day um and I was the person who would dress up and wear full face of makeup and have my hair curled and wear heels and like tight fitted dresses and then I Post baby didn't feel comfortable in any of that, so then I had to figure out what do I wear and what does that mean when I walk into the office? Will people take me as seriously? Am I as professional? So I just had to keep trying things out. So I bought different outfits, tried them on, went to work in them, saw how I felt, if I hated it, and I just returned it or bought something new.
1: <laughs> as a woman, I think we have far more challenges also just in being in the office, than men?
0: Definitely.
1: In the way we dress, or the, the challenge that we have, in extra thing we need to think about, for example, the makeup. How the relationship with your female part, or your you know, woman part, is coexisting with the mother part?
0: I think I'm still struggling, like I'm still think I'm figuring out that part. Because like pre having a baby, I would have considered myself quite—I uh, don't know if this is the right way to describe it—quite a sexual woman. Okay. I, you know, I used to wear really um, tight-fitting clothes because I loved my curves and I loved my shape. Whereas post having a baby, my body somewhat felt for a long time like it wasn't mine didn't belong to me you know three years on and now pregnant again it feels like it's changing again the biggest thing I ever did was communicate that to my husband always really open to communicate to him about how I felt and how my feelings were changing and my relationship with my body was changing because it affected my marriage as it does what do you
1: think our society, that could be the English one, the Australian one, or more generally the society, expects of us as a woman, as a man, and what do you think is the reality?
0: That women can do everything, and that we should. (laughs) I think that's the expectation, and I think we put it on ourselves, that we can do everything and we should do everything. We can go back to work and we can take care of the babies and we can still run a house and it's still expected that we do all of it and it's impossible. It's so hard. You wonder why mums crack and you wonder why women stop working and then just a stay-at-home mums and can't bear the idea of going back to work because it's too hard. It's too hard to do it all. And I don't think that we should have to do it all. And if we do want to go back to work and we do want to have, you know, that balance. You need people in your life who are on the same page with you to help support it. Like I couldn't go back to work and I couldn't do all the things that I do without a husband who takes 50% of the load. Like he does 50% of the housework. He does 50% of our domestic chores. Uh, He does 50% of the childcare and we just couldn't do it unless he agreed to do half because I can't survive by doing it all.
1: For a um, woman that live abroad, perhaps very far from home, now with your experience, what advice
0: will you give? Communication has always been key for me. If you are not coping and you need help or things aren't working, be confident in yourself and make sure that you've got people that you can tell and try and figure it out. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know and I this is not right for me. Don't just sit there and feel miserable and alone and, and like you're on your own because you're not. When I was pregnant, I felt terrible. I had when my first baby, I had um, prenatal depression and I was terrified of having a baby over here and I was terrified of being on my own even though I had my husband it sounds silly but I was specified and I just remember saying I can't do this on my own anymore I need help and then I went to therapy to get help because sometimes you're your own worst enemy like I was I'd sit in my head and be like I'd come up with the worst scenarios that never came true <laughs> like they were never true and so I think speak out talk to people like make sure you get help it's not as scary as probably what's in your head thank
1: you for sharing and for being so vulnerable and strong in admitting that you need support at the time sometimes can be threatening the fact that we are not coping by our own and admitting that could be a challenge I noticed this with my clients, what they tend to do. They, in particular at the beginning, they describe coaching as a plus. And I've always been surprised by that. I acknowledge that asking for help is an act of courage, self-care, and a form of love. In particular for people that live abroad. They can feel disconnected by the reality around us because, you know, we come from a different country and a different cultural background and different cultural norms and approach and way to think and express ourselves. So I do hope that who is listening can take your example as an encouragement and as a call to action and if needed, to reach out out there that could be not only therapy or coaching it could be also like a heart-to-heart dialogue with a friend or a sincere authentic conversation with a family member or speaking with your partner not only for the moms or young women but also in general because Living abroad is is lonely, like it's technically you leave your family, friends, and social securities and shelter somewhere, and physically you are somewhere else. And I guess for me that I'm Italian, so there's also the language, it's also another barrier. Mm-hmm. Is is the fact that some sentences don't make sense in English. <laughs> <laughs> but they're very telling the way that we express our feeling. Did you find any difference in the way that, you know, English society or London express their
0: feelings and are in touch with emotion compared to Australia? I was quite naive when I got here and I thought we all speak English and we can't- Australia is built from, it, like, convicts of the UK so culturally it should be pretty much the same right oh how I was so wrong okay (laughs) so incredibly wrong um I was so naive to how the southern hemisphere is so completely different culturally to what the UK is um and I I'm pretty sure I put my foot in it so often with probably racist naive comments because I came from very sheltered environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and Australia is really influenced by American culture so we are quite Americanized with our language and some of our behaviors as well which is very different to the UK. Yeah. so the um, things that I found the most um, shocking when I first moved here was the the class system so yeah. even the grocery stores have a class system and I was like what the hell Why do your grocery stores have a class system? Like at home, you have Woolworths or Coles. They're your choices. Go pick. (laughs) Go shop. And like even like the hierarchy of different different types of English people and where they land and the language that they use to describe them and the way that people express themselves Like I've always been criticised for being way too direct. I was on the phone to someone last week at work and I was speaking about something and, I'm, you know, that's what I've been brought up in. You're direct. If there's a problem, you you say it, you fix it. You don't make it personal but you vocalise the issue so you can fix it. And the individual on the phone said to me, oh, I'm really sorry, you sound really upset. And I was like, I'm not upset. I'm (laughs) actually the opposite. I just... I've identified a problem and this is it, and let's fix it. Like, I'm not going to put all this fluffy stuff around it. I'm going to say exactly what the problem is and then we're going to go forward and just get it done. But I think I've always struggled with that is that difference. But it took me a long time because people used to criticize me for it at work, especially. I was criticized for those cultures that I brought over and those behaviors that were ingrained in me. But I found them. be a strength as well. So it took me a long time to come confident with them and then say actually this is my strength. My strength is that I can cut through all of the noise, get straight to the point and get things done. And that's what makes me really good at my job. Mm -hmm. And just being able to say that's what makes me really good at my job took a long time as well. (laughs) So there is differences, but I think the wonderful thing about London is that you're not alone. Like it's the most multicultural city I've ever lived in. And it's not just English people you're dealing with. Like you, we deal with everyone from across Europe to Americans to other southern hemisphere people. So at work, I think I've also had to learn to adjust to other cultures, not just the British culture.
1: Yes, absolutely. I can really resonate with that. And it's interesting because I had a similar experience. Italians are very direct too. And once I was told by a colleague of mine, they really care. She really cares. She told me, Adele, if you want to go along with people, you need to be quiet, speak about weather, have a bit of chit-chat, and then you ask what you want to ask. And then you verbalize the problem. Because if you do the other way around, it will not work. I always thought that, at least like this is the Italian approach, you just try to be efficient and just make the point and move on. Is that here is, is slightly different. Thanks for all your knowledge and honesty and authenticity in sharing. We got now just a few questions to close. But before doing so, is anything else that you want to add about your experience as a mother abroad? That's a good question.
0: Enjoy it. Try and enjoy it. Like, it may feel daunting, but you're not alone. So, try and enjoy it. Being a mother is the hardest thing I've ever done. And they say this, and it, and it sounds silly, but it is so rewarding. It, and they, you know, those kids will love you so much. It's just, it'll, it breaks your heart. Like, my son came into bed this morning and woke me up. With kisses on my head and said mommy it's time to wake up and I can't tell you the overwhelming amount of love that I felt so enjoy it thank you
1: I have just a last two question for you what is the big worry you had that never came true
0: I thought that without my family I wouldn't be able to cope and turns out I was wrong great and what is your best hope for the future? The immediate future is that my kids get along when I have my second one. <laughs> I'm able to s- to stay true to myself and that I can continue to reinvent over the next few years to support the changing needs of myself but my own family as well. Thank
1: you, Tiffany, for me here. I do hope that all young women and mums-to-be and Mums that are struggling or trying to figure out find this episode inspiring. Thank you.
0: And Thanks for having me on. It's been really interesting. I've never been interviewed before, so it's been an experience for me too. That's great. Thank you, and
1: see you next week.